The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 40. If you are struggling with OCD and anxiety, you are not alone. There are many, many people who are in exactly the same situation as you. And so often when we do struggle, it really does feel like we are the only one who struggles with these kinds of problems. And certainly that was the case for me. So if you are looking for help with OCD and anxiety, you can head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. And uh, there you can sign up to my newsletter and you can get access to my free mini course and the blog and lots of other resources as well. So it's a pretty helpful place to head uh, if you would like some, some help with this. And one more thing before we get going. Um, if you do find this podcast uh, to be beneficial, it would be amazing if you could give us a, uh, a five-star review and if you can subscribe as well. It really does help us to, to get the message out there. Today I interviewed the wonderful and charming Julie R. Ansis. Julie is a professor and inaugural director of the Cyber Psychology Program at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. She created and authors the Cyber Psychology page at Psychology Today. Dr. Ansis is a fellow of the American Psychological Association um, and she has been active in leadership roles in the American Psychological Association and other organizations such as serving as chair of the APA Societies of Counseling Psychology uh, section for the advancement of women. She has received a number of awards and honors including Woman of the Year from the section on the advancement of women and the Georgia State University's Outstanding Research Award. Prior to her current position, Dr. Ansis served as the Associate Vice President for Institute Diversity at Georgia Institute of Technology and was affiliated with the School of Psychology. At Georgia Tech, Dr. Ansis was a principal and co-principal investigator of $6 million in a grant funding from the Department of Education and the National Science Foundation. Dr. Ansis also served as a tenured psychology professor at Georgia State University. She's also uh, the author of uh, four books uh, and many different journal articles, uh, book chapters and many other things as well. I'm going to, uh, to put the rest of the information uh, into the, the show notes. There you can also find links to her cyber psychology program and her Psychology Today page. But suffice to say, Julie is obviously highly qualified and uh, is a real expert in the area of cyber psychology, which is a really important area when it comes to anxiety. And uh, I know that so many people who struggle with anxiety spend a lot of time Googling uh, their concerns about their particular issues. Uh, And if we're not doing that, then often, you know, people tend to spend a lot of time on applications like Instagram and Facebook 
And, uh, and these things, they can be beneficial at times. They can be helpful. However, if we're not careful, if we don't put up, uh, you know, maybe boundaries around these things, then they can easily get out of control and can actually not be uh, as helpful as we may first have thought. And so in this interview today, we really go into lots of detail about how we can, uh, how we can use the, the internet in a more, uh, a more helpful way and uh, what the connection is between mental health issues and, uh, and using the internet. But we also look at many of the, the positives because, of course, you know, there are so many benefits of, of, uh, of the internet for people who struggle with mental health. I mean, certainly, you know, for myself who, who works predominantly, uh, you know, with, uh, with coaching people online, you know, there's some big benefits there for me and, and, and for you guys. But also, you know, that's, that's not just it for, for connection. And obviously during this crisis, the fact that we have the internet has been extremely helpful. You know, if we want to stay in touch with our friends and family, um, then, you know, which is really important for mental health, then we have the options with things like Zoom and Skype. Um, and so there are many, many positives as well. And we, we do discuss that. So... As always, I hope you I hope you find it helpful. And if you do have any questions for me, then you know, do please let me know. Many thanks. Hi Ginny, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you on. So to start off, I just wanted to kind of, you know, ask a bit more about you, like, you know, what you do and uh and, and where you're from. So I am from New York City, and uh, I currently am the director of the Cyber Psychology Program at the New Jersey Institute of Technology in Newark, New Jersey. This is a brand new innovative program uh, for students who are interested in studying all things cyber psychology. So I am very excited about being at this university and starting up this new initiative, which just got launched last spring. Um, before that, I was a faculty member and associate vice president of diversity at the Georgia Tech Institute of Technology in Atlanta, Georgia. And prior to that, I was a professor of psychology at Georgia State University. And so I've been in academia for uh, quite some time and uh, involved in the service of psychology. Wow, very impressive. So um, you've obviously been working in the field for a long time and uh, you also, you write for Psychology Today, you have numerous books I, I, I saw. And um, why did you first decide to become a, a psychologist? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I was always from a very uh, young child interested in observing other human beings and you know always wondering why they said or did the things that they they did um and i just always found human beings quite intriguing and had a desire to learn more, to understand more about the sort of psychological processes underlying the way people feel and the way people think and the way people behave. So part of that may have been, you know, growing up in a big city and being exposed to a lot of 
different human beings from a variety of backgrounds and also growing up in a city where um, one's unique self-expression is acceptable, is seen as acceptable. Mm. Uh, it's definitely not a conformist type of place. And so, you know, you see human beings uh, in their full expression in every way. And so I always found that intriguing. Mm. Yeah, it must be a, a fascinating city to, to live in uh, New York and to, to have all of that fascinating culture and history. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I live in Barcelona and, uh, you know, again, it's quite a, it's quite an interesting city to live in. The people are, you know, quite independent thinking and, um, you know, there's a, a really a rich history, beautiful buildings. And um, when you walk around the city of Barcelona, it's actually a very dense population. There's a lot of, you know, quite high rise buildings. I mean, obviously not high rise like New York, but you know, there's a, it's a dense, there's a dense population. So you have a lot of people in a, in a relatively small area and you always feel that buzz walking around the city. I, I you know, I absolutely love it. Yeah, I, I could concur. It's, I've been in Barcelona. It's been quite some time and uh, it is quite a beautiful city. Mm. So you're in a, in a wonderful place. Yeah. Um, I will add to that because it made me think of another aspect of why I'm interested in psychology um, is that I was fortunate to be able to have traveled quite extensively um, mm. throughout my life and experiencing people from different cultures. Mm. Uh, and that also drove my interest in uh, multicultural issues specifically and, mm. and diversity as yeah. well, which has been um, a great part of my scholarship. Okay, fantastic. So maybe we, we can get on to that in a minute. But I wanted to kind of ask you about cyber psychology and and how it relates to to anxiety, because obviously we, we had a chat the other day about this and um, we were discussing some of the problems that, you know, many people face today, you know, with maybe worsening their problems uh, with anxiety from, you know, spending too much time on social media or on the internet in general. Although, although social media and the internet can be helpful for anxiety, there does also seem to be some, some problems. So maybe we could kind of discuss that a little bit. Well, um, cyber psychology uh, is, is the study of the psychological processes involved in the uh, connections between mm. human beings and, and technology. And you are um, correct in terms of thinking about our online use, especially our social media use. Uh, we know that especially during the pandemic, our online use has completely soared um, with data usage and internet usage um, ranging or increases, increases in data usage and internet usage ranging anywhere from, you know, 50% to 100% for, for some cities. Mm. Uh, and people, uh, as a result of the pandemic, are increasingly dependent or reliant on the use of, of technology. But even pre-pandemic, um, this has been the case. So we're yeah. doing everything online, right? We're making airline reservations or travel reservations or restaurant reservations, mm. filling out human resource forms and yep. medical forms yeah. online. 
Yeah. Uh, we're seeing doctors online. We're seeing therapists online. So teletherapy has just soared and surged as, as well. And um, like you said, this has been an incredibly positive advancement um, with regard to a accessing a range of services and connecting with a range of human beings all over the planet. Uh, it's also not without its negative effects, right, potentially. And so with the increase in social media use, we're also seeing sort of relationships between that and things like anxiety and depression um, and uh, internet addictions as mm, well. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you say are, are some things that people can, can start doing? to improve their their situation in regards to cyber psychology because you know i think we are still at that point where the technology is evolving so quickly uh you know um instagram for for example has just introduced a new a new thing instagram reels which is uh an answer to tiktok and uh you know there's it's constantly evolving things are changing they, they're making it more and more addictive and uh, it's, it seems to be harder and harder to not kind of be online and, and spend a lot of your time on the uh, on, on these social media apps. So what would you write, recommend uh, people to try to to try to do to try to manage the amount of time that they, they spend? Uh, I think a lot of my recommendations relate to the topic of your podcast and a lot of the issues that I know you've already covered. Mm. Uh, like mindfulness uh, mm. is one. Um, but I would say that we certainly need to be more mindful, conscious, and aware of our relationship with technology, our relationships with the phone, our phones, for example. Mm. And so it's said that we now have a very intimate relationship with our phones. Um, and sometimes we engage with our computers, with our phones, with technology in ways that become um, mind numbing or lacking mm. in consciousness. So we yeah. find ourselves, right? Um, number one, like the first thing that many of us do when we wake up in the morning is pick up our phone. Mm. The last thing we do before we go to sleep is look at our phones. Yeah, yeah. We are like surfing the net oftentimes as mm. a way to sort of our comfort, comfort ourselves or self-soothe ourselves when we're yeah. bored or yeah. when we're anxious or when we're depressed. And unfortunately, um, sometimes that leads to increased anxiety and increased depression. Mm. Uh, so I would say number one, to be more mindful, conscious, aware of the ways in which we're using our technology. Uh, and secondly, to be very intentional, intentional about taking breaks, tech breaks, mm. when we need them. Putting our phone away, you know, silencing our phones, for example, um, when we're eating dinner, when we're having lunch, when we're talking to other human beings. Mm. Uh, and yeah. Um, engaging in other aspects of life 
that may not involve sort of uh, surfing the internet mindlessly, mm. if you will. So, so having very specific rules actually surrounding like the usage of, of the internet in a way, you know, like if you're having dinner, you know, maybe setting a rule or something like, you know, during the mealtime, I'm actually just going to try to connect with the person I'm with, you know, uh, physically with in the room and, and talk with them and communicate with them. Because obviously part of the issue, I think that we get from this, uh, you know, this, this hyper focus on technology is that we become a bit more disconnected from reality. We become a bit more disconnected from the people and the things that are actually around us that we would actually really benefit from actually just being more connected with. So, you know, so being mindfully aware of that and, and really trying to be there with the people who are around us. Yes, and um, I know it's interesting that you use the term rules. Um, and I think to a, to a great degree, that's an accurate um, term, especially as we're trying to break ourselves from a habit, uh, a mm. habit that may be maladaptive. Um, but, you know, we find that um, once we start engaging in more adaptive uses of technology or not engaging in technology, uh, that that becomes easier and that we no longer necessarily have to kind of um, enforce a rule book, if you will. Not that you're saying that, um, but some people may find it frightening uh, to think about the idea of, oh no, now I have to, you know, enforce some other thing in my already <laughs> stressful life. Uh, but it's just like meditative practice, right? Initially, um, it could be a struggle or very difficult or challenging to actually um, engage and immerse ourselves in meditative practices. But the more we do it, uh, the easier it becomes and it becomes second nature. So in your view, it's better to, to kind of build up more awareness of the situation through, through mindfulness, through meditation, so that you naturally over time are more aware of how much time you're spending on these things. And therefore, you know, it's going to be easier for you to disengage from them a little bit. Yes, because I think for so many of us, we've sort of lost ourselves. Uh, in so many ways, in the phone, in the computer, that um, it becomes very hard uh, to understand the ways in which it's impacting us because mm. we have become kind of one with the mm. computer. I mean, you see it now during a pandemic where so many of us are on Zoom meetings or WebEx meetings or online meetings, right? Uh, and the, the boundaries between kind of our work life and our home life are so blurred. You know, I'm teaching mm. students online now. Um, I'm teaching students sometimes from my bedroom, you know, with a nice backdrop. And, um, you know, these students are also in very personal kind of, if you will, or personalized sorts of environments. So there's such a, a blurring of boundaries in so many ways between the relationships that we have with our phones, which are very intimate, if you will, 
and then with the pandemic, the blurring of boundaries between kind of work life, right? And home mm. life. Yeah. Uh, that just developing a consciousness around that, I think, is a good place to start. Yeah. I mean, I, I was listening to uh, Elon Musk talking the other day about, uh, you know, people uh, were talking about how long will it be before we can start inserting microchips into people's brains and they can start interacting with the microchips and, uh, you know, extra memory and things like this. And he was saying, well, look, you already have this thing that you carry around with your pocket. You know, it may not be actually soldered straight onto your brain. However, you know, we have such an intimate relationship with it that it might as well be. And uh, it, it's true. And like kind of what you were saying as well about being more mindful. I mean, like we live in a society now where it's very difficult for us to be able to just wait for something, you know, to, to patiently wait somewhere and not have something to do uh, to occupy our minds whilst we're waiting. You know, like the other day I was waiting in the pharmacy and there was only two or three people in front of me. So, you know, I didn't need to get my phone out. I could have just waited and, uh, you know, uh, and, and just paid attention to something else. But I felt that urge, you know, almost this, this kind of urge that I really had to, to, to follow through on. I had to get my phone out. I had yeah. to start checking my apps. And, um, you know, so often, actually, like those situations where we do have to wait, those situations are actually perfect times to practice mindfulness skills. Like during yeah. that, you know, two minutes when you're waiting in line for something, if you could, instead of getting your phone out, if you could tune into the breath for mm. a few minutes, if you could pay attention to, you know, the things you can see around you and really notice exactly what those things look like and pay attention in detail to those things. If you could, you know, notice what you can hear in that room and really listen to those things. All of these things are mindful techniques, you know, something that's going to try and anchor you into the present. Doing that is going to be a lot more beneficial for you, you know, in the long run than just, you know, uh, compulsively pulling out the phone because it's what we normally do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to create these new habits sometimes. Yeah. Um, or even instead of, you know, pulling out the phone, talking to the person we're with, if we're with some other person, um, you know, how many people do you see out on dates now uh, or friends who are together and all are on their phones, like looking at social media while they're yeah. together instead of yeah. interacting yeah. with others. You know, um, there was a time I would go work in coffee shops and, um, or just have a cup of coffee and people were actually talking to each other. So uh, we're, you know, we're seeing less and less of that. And interesting that you mentioned um, these urges to pull out the phone. I do think it's become a, a compulsion mm. in many ways. I know also the focus of your podcast is on um, obsessive compulsive disorder mm. and anxiety disorder. And interestingly, uh, research has shown a relationship between internet addiction uh, and obsessive compulsive disorder. Oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Driving the relationship, you know, as the yeah. internet addiction and driving the OCD or is the OCD driving um, mm. the internet addiction. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, thinking about uh, folks who are struggling with obs obsessive compulsive disorders experiencing kind of these unwanted and recurrent thoughts. Um, mm. You know, I need to check my social media feed. I need to check my likes and my comments on my posts. Um, yeah. I need to see what my ex-partner is up to. Yeah. And so these are these kind of repeated, recurrent, unwanted thoughts um, that often lead to compulsions, right? Around checking your phone or yeah. surfing the net or staying online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which then lead to more anxiety and distress oftentimes, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. I mean, I know for a fact, actually, you know, that um, the internet uh, kind of checking, let's call it, or or whatever, going on the, onto the internet when you have OCD, a lot of the time it is because you want reassurance, you know, because mm -hmm. reassurance seeking is one of the major compulsions in, in OCD, um, you know, because people have obviously all these these fears about different things and you know no matter how much they try to reassure themselves you know they they still have this tiny bit of doubt and so if they've gone through this kind of analytical process uh, in their own heads you know and they haven't been able to get 100% certainty about something uh, and they still want to get that certainty then the next step is to go online and to start checking Google, because Google surely will have the answer. Um, you know, but unfortunately, Google is the biggest rabbit hole there is. And, uh, you know, your, your question that you're looking for certainty about will very likely uh, end up, you know, turning into another question and then another question. And uh, it just goes on and on and on. Um, and people can never actually find that certainty that they're looking for, because, of course, the, the, the problem is not the thing that they're obsessing about. The problem is the anxiety, you know, underneath that obsession that is, you know, they're not able or willing to, to, to face for, for whatever reason. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, and if you think about, again, you know, this increasing isolation, where, which we're all experiencing due to COVID, um, and just an increasingly technologically uh, advanced world. Right. Um, there's a lot of disconnectedness, a lot of isolation, a lot of loneliness, um, coupled with human beings' need for, as you said, reassurance. Mm. Um, even folks who, who are not even suffering from um, OCD, right, or mm. anxiety disorders. Or at yeah. least we all have a need for belonging mm. and connectedness. And a lot of people are seeking that through online means. That's not always bad, right? No, I mean, no. And I wanted to ask you about obviously some of the positives of, uh, <laughs> you know, of the internet, you know, obviously being a, a cyber psychologist, um, you know, you, I'm, I'm sure it's not, obviously it's not all bad. You know, there are, there are positive things about the internet, of course. Um, what are some of the positive things, though? Do you, do you think when it comes to to anxiety and uh, and the internet? Um, well, I think there's there's so much, uh, really. So uh, one, as we mentioned, uh, we are able to connect now with a mm. range of people, um, no matter where they are, 
yeah. um, people who are able to provide us with support and reassurance, right? Mm. Um, we're able to join groups online, social support networks and groups. We're able to see therapists online. We're able to take yoga online, uh, to, to have dance marathons and breaks online, listen to the world's greatest um, music online. I'm able to download um, meditation kind of audio online. Um, Etc. Um, and still take my class from New York City, which is being held in Atlanta, my yoga class. Uh, mm. And so that's incredible. In the past, I wouldn't have been able to do that, right? Once I moved, I moved and, and, and that was the end of that. Um, there is uh, so much information that is informative and helpful in terms of coming up with solutions to a range of problems that we could access mm. online. Um, I recently uh, saw and showed in my class a TEDx um, video about using technology and using the internet for good, which is something I'm increasingly interested in. And there was a story of a potato farmer in Kenya who uh, was from a village and was growing potatoes and finding that they weren't thriving, that the potatoes were dying. And he had access to the internet. So we searched the internet for solutions um, on potato disease. And so he found information that was helpful to him. There was an ant infestation. And what do you do when there's an ant infestation? Um, and he had a deep desire to share the information that he was coming across on the internet with his community who didn't have access to the internet. Hmm. So what he did was gathered all kinds of information, relevant information to his community um, that he found on the internet and he would print that out and post that on a community board in his village. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. So you just mentioned uh, community there, and, and uh, I, I think that's a really a really interesting point because certainly um, I know for a fact, you know, um, for me when I was really struggling, um, the internet wasn't as evolved, you know, then as it is now, and I did feel incredibly alone. You know, I really felt like no one else, you know, would is struggling with this. No one else understands this. You know, it was it was horrible to really you know be struggling with these kind of thoughts and not have uh, someone else you know who I could potentially speak to or just hear their story or or whatever. And uh, certainly, I really do feel the internet provides uh, opportunities, whether that's you know OCD charities providing you know chat rooms and uh you know opportunities for people to communicate with each other whether that's kind of you know podcasts like this talking about problems and people coming on and sharing their stories i really do think that that is one area this kind of community uh area that i think is really powerful and and, and can actually you know bringing us together in a positive way over you know different things whether that's mental health or you know, a potato farmer somewhere in the US, you know, it's uh, this idea of community is, is extremely powerful. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, and it's the source of a lot of support, social support for mm. human beings. And it's a lot, it's the source for entertainment and joy and, and good feelings from yeah. uh, having dinner with family um, or others using Zoom. Um, I don't know if you've done that, if you've experienced that, some holidays in the well. States. I will be uh, I will be celebrating Christmas via Zoom this oh, year because uh, I can't I can't go back to the UK. So uh, so yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm going to ask them to uh, prop me up on the dinner table. I'll have my place, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll be there on Zoom. So uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not quite the same, um, but it's it's something, right? Um, you're able to see and, and interact with your your family and mm. and friends yeah um yeah yeah i i just think it's incredible i i really think like bef before before the technology was here you know with um facebook like group groups for example like there's many ocd and anxiety facebook groups where you can go on and you can just share you know like you've had a you've had a terrible day you can just share that and then other people will will like it and comment and share their experience. And I really do think that 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 alone for many people, it really helps keep them them sane, you know, like, I'm, I, I you know, they'll still be struggling, but that social support in the right context can be incredibly powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And in this case, the internet is a medium. Uh, by which we're able to, to accomplish our needs for human connectedness and human belonging, right? Mm, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I also wanted to, to ask you, um, because you were, you were recognized as uh, Woman of the Year by the uh, American Psychological Association. Can you, can you tell us about that, please? Sure. Um, so I am a member of the American Psychological Association. I have been for years. I'm a, a fellow of the APA. And um, I received that award through the section on the advancement of women. Uh, and um, I was also a chair subsequently to um, receiving that award of that particular section. Uh, and the section on the advancement of women is very much engaged in sort of advancing research, scholarship and service um, around women and around gender issues more broadly. So I was recognized for my research and my scholarship and uh, my service in the field of psychology. Fantastic, very interesting. And uh, so you've also written four books, mm -hmm. uh, pretty impressive. And uh, you, you wrote one book in particular that I noticed called um, Gender, uh, Psychology and Justice, uh, mm. The Mental Health of Women and Girls in the Legal System. Uh, it's a really interesting title. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Uh, well, that that was a collaboration um, with my colleague, uh, Corinne Dachi, who at one point was also chair of the section on the advancement of women um, in, <laughs> okay. in, in the division we both belong to. Yeah. And she was conducting uh, a lot of research around um, 
drug courts and um, people who have been um, addicted or are addicted to drugs find themselves in the criminal justice system. Mm. And I was conducting research around um, family court uh, with a focus on women who found themselves in contested uh, divorce and custody proceeding. Mm. Mm. And um, we both saw um, some cultural misses, if you will, uh, within a legal system that has a very, um, has a focus, which is like a one size fits all type mm. of type of focus, yeah. where people's stories weren't necessarily heard or understood. Um, and we were also witnessing a lot of biases in the legal system, uh, particularly racial bias, gender bias, economic bias, mm. and seeing kind of results and consequences and decisions that were made in courtrooms that didn't really relate to the case at hand, but really related to biases of a judge or a jury type of thing, or a prosecutor or an attorney. Mm. So we were very, very moved to write a book on an area that we thought was missing in um, within psychology mm. uh, and a book for informing psychologists and people in the, in the justice system around uh, psychological processes in a wide variety of arenas as relates to the legal system, not only drug courts and family courts, um, but other, other uh, issues as relates to the legal system, as well as particular populations mm. of, of women, of people of color, mm. of folks who identify as LGBTQ, yeah. et cetera. I think it's, uh, it's a really big area, like you said, and it's, um, it's something that as a society, we need to be thinking about and discussing more. Um, fortunately, and I think, again, this is in a big part, you know, due to the, the internet, now more than ever, people are talking about mental health issues uh, much more out in the open. And actually, uh, COVID, I think, has been a part of the reason for that. Have you, have you noticed that in the States as well, that, that people are more open to talking about mental health? And has that, has that been a positive thing? Uh, there have definitely been attempts on the part of... Um, major organizations, including uh, the American Psychological o Association to destigmatize mm. uh, mental challenges. You know, um, I'm not so fond of the word mental illness. Um, I, I prefer the term challenges, but, um, and that's part of destigmatizing <laughs> uh, this. So, and- I, I think we use mental health, no? Mental health is- Yes, the general yeah. term that that we use. Yeah, and uh, that is a that's a I think that's a good term and mental challenges as opposed to mental illness, for mm. example, because I yeah. think all of us struggle mm. at some point or another to some extent. Mm. Um, 
with uh, all kinds of things, all kinds of life issues. So there have been active attempts to destigmatize, and I definitely see it among um, the younger populations. So high schoolers who, you know, when I was going to high school, it wasn't a typical thing that somebody would say, like, I'm going to a therapist or I need to see a therapist. Um, but it seems that many high schoolers um, speak very freely about the fact that they're in therapy or engaged in therapy uh, and see it as a positive uh, in terms of their mental health and growth. Exactly, exactly. That's, that's what I think is happening. I, I really do think that society is moving in the right direction with this. People are able to talk about mental health in, in a way that in the past they wouldn't have been able to do it. Certainly when I was growing up, you know, we're only talking like 20 years ago, but it was difficult then to mention mental health, you know, uh, and that was a big part of the reason I didn't find out, you know, what was up with me until I was kind of 30. You know, it was, you know, I had to go a long time dealing with with OCD on my own because it was very difficult to, to open up about it and speak about it. And actually, like, you know, it was much easier just to kind of get on, pretend that you're OK and, and just do your best. But it's so important that people do open up and, and speak to people. And, you know, like you were saying earlier, now there's so much more opportunity you know, mm. to, to go online and to to do teletherapy or, or, or whatever. So I think it's really encouraging that we're moving in that direction. Yeah. Um, and to that, a lot of younger people are posting, right, videos of themselves uh, and talking about openly about their struggles with, uh, with mental health. Mm. We still have a long way to go, right? I mean, there's still a lot of shame, I think, and, and stigma associated uh, with so many social ills, um, mm. including abuse, physical abuse, sexual mm. abuse, emotional abuse, um, being uh, a survivor of that. Mm. You know? yeah. uh, I think there's still so much shame and stigma that people internalize that uh, is not their shame and stigma to internalize as, uh, as a survivor, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's still a long way to go, but the signs are encouraging that, yeah. that people are opening up more. And, uh, you know, because it is an act of bravery, you know, to, to seek out support, uh, particularly if you're someone who's had a serious uh, abuse, like you were just talking about there. Mm -hmm. You know, for many people who have experienced that, like you say, it can be very hard to, to come forward and open up and speak to somebody so it really does take a lot of uh, a lot of bravery absolutely and i think also especially for men uh because there are so many um messages mm. about what uh, a man should look like or should be and uh, how they should be strong and invincible um and not vulnerable to any weakness and so issues related to mental health suggest for many a vulnerability or a weakness and uh that's that's changing too there are a lot of organizations that i'm a part of uh that are actively engaged in combating that so men uh will come forward and seek the help they need yeah i think that's a really important area 
you know, uh, certainly I think in the West, you know, uh, suicide amongst men is oh. uh, particularly worrying. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly an area that needs to be worked on. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's encouraging that there's organizations and people like you who are, who are looking into that kind of thing, because, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important. Yeah. Um, if you uh, if you had kind of one piece of advice for people who are you know they are they're struggling with OCD or anxiety and you know they're trying to use the the, the internet in a positive and responsible way. If you had like one piece of advice for them, you know what what would it be? I would go back to uh, my suggestion earlier, <laughs> and it is to develop um you know when i say develop a mindfulness or consciousness what is that what does that mean um maybe look more carefully um at your social media use okay so there are so many apps now that track how how long you spent on twitter facebook social mm. media platforms like that's one thing um also consider like what you're looking at the content and whether that's ultimately making you feel good or ultimately making you feel more anxious mm. or depressed. Um, have some consideration to sort of alternative activities or alternative content that you could be either viewing online or doing something else kind of entirely. Um, like how about picking up a phone is one or <laughs> listening to some music or journaling or doing some art, whatever it is that sort of makes you happy. And, and, and also consider, um, I think especially now, it's very hard to stay focused on like purpose, like what is our purpose? Uh, mm. And it's, when we have a purpose in life, whatever that may be, uh, that's very much associated with satisfaction and happiness and contentment mm. that you feel like you're making an impact in some way. And so to give some, some thought to that and give some thought to whether your engagements um, online are fulfilling that or not fulfilling that. I really like that. That's uh, and that really ties in actually with a lot of the work I do with people, which is, you know, working on values. You know, kind of because so often when we really struggle with anxiety and uh, OCD and things like this, you become remote from your values and what matters most important to you in life. Because you know the obsessions and the anxieties they become the central thing and we stop doing some of the things that gave life meaning that previously we would have been doing all the time you know and so actually you know that as part of that process of of getting more in tune again with your values you know when you are going online maybe you can kind of ask yourself the question of like what value am I am I trying to work on here? You know, am I actually trying to, to build up this particular value or another value? Or, you know, am I going online just for the sake of it? Just because mm -hmm. I'm trying to numb this, this kind of anxious feeling that I have? Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, often, yeah. often a good question to ask yourself is like, is this action I'm about to take? Is it moving me towards the person I want to be? Or is it taking me away? Good question. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And sometimes, you know, none of this is black and white, right? So sometimes we just need to numb our, ourselves or we need a distraction. Oh, absolutely. We need yeah. A break. And that break looks like something that's not really purposeful, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then that's okay not to beat yourself up about that either, because that yeah. could get into. Uh, yeah. you know a, 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 another kind of like negativity um, but I like those two questions that you pose I mm. think that's helpful in terms of moving us towards a more adaptive use of yeah. our technology particularly maybe if you're feeling that it's kind of taking over a little bit you know it's yeah. kind of becoming a bit addictive you yep. know um Judy, thank you so much for your time it's been uh, wonderful talking to you if people want to find out more about about you and about cyber psychology and the work that you do, how can they uh, how can they find that out? So I would encourage folks to go um, online <laughs> uh, for this very important purpose, and that is to uh, learn more about the cyber psychology program and degree at the New Jersey Institute of technology and that's uh, www.njit.edu slash academics and and do a search for cyber psychology uh, and you'll find all kinds of uh, interesting information about the curriculum as well as some of the work we're engaged in at NJIT. Uh, You'll hear some other podcasts, Uh, you'll see some other articles that may be of interest to you if you want to learn more about this exciting discipline. Uh, You could check out my blog at Psychology Today, and that's the cyber psychology page. Uh, And we also have a YouTube channel, uh, the Cyber Psychology Center, where I've interviewed this entire um, academic semester uh, thought leaders in the areas of cyber psychology on teletherapy, on the use of AI and VR to understand uh, racial bias, on fake news and misinformation. And uh, you may be interested in viewing some of those videos at the Cyber Psychology Center, which is a YouTube channel. Okay, that's fantastic. I'll, um, I'll put all the links for that in the in the show notes. Okay, I will. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Fantastic. So, thank you again. It's been uh, it's been great talking to you. Pleasure. Remember, if you want to know more about me, you can check me out on Instagram, Robert James Coaching UK. You can go and join the Facebook group if you like, the Robert James Coaching Anxiety and OCD Support Group, and also you can check out my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist, or any other medical or mental health professional. 